All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. But if you are laying in bed and not wanting to go out because it's your period, that is not normal. Right there, red flag, start looking into endometriosis and start advocating for yourself that this is not normal. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and check movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 187 of the Biohacker Babes. I am Lauren tuning in from <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> I know my name. Okay. This is Lauren. I am tuning in from Charlotte, North Carolina today, and it is sunny and warm. Hallelujah. I'm joined by my sister Renee in Hello. Las Vegas. Hello. Hi. It's beautiful and sunny here. So yeah, ready yeah, for yeah, pool yeah. season. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. You got plenty. I've been in winter for five years over here. <laughs> it snowed last week for the third time. Wild, wild West Coast. Yeah. It's the wild, wild West. It sure is. Well, you got a tank top on, so you can't complain. Yay. All right, Renee, pop question of the day is, what day of your cycle are you in? on? In, oh, on. that's a good question. I should know it off the bat. I'm going to guess that it's 25. Let me check, though. <gasps> can I confirm if I'm correct? 18, sure. 21. You can look. 24. Uh, I was off oh, by one I'll day. Give it to you. I'll give it to you. Winner, winner. <laughs> That's a good question. I know it's coming. So there we go. All right, ladies, if you're listening, ask yourself what, what day of your cycle you're in. And men, if you're listening, do you know what day of your cycle your female partner 
is in on on. I have to ask you back because we had a full moon last night. What day are you? Yeah, I'm not synced with the moon anymore. Sometimes I am. I'm day 10. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. And, we and we've been it. aligned many times, but yeah, it's easy to shift. Yes. Yeah. Day 10. Yeah. Well, we're talking right. about the menstrual cycle. It just felt appropriate because our guest today, Dr. Suzanne Fenske, is here to talk to you all about women's health, specifically some chronic disorders like endometriosis and PCOS. She has a functional medicine practice in New York City. She also sees clients virtually, so you can see her wherever you are. But um, this is a fun episode because I think traditional medicine often doesn't give females that are in pain or having symptoms that may be common but not normal. She's providing answers for, for women. Yeah, I think if you are in New York City, wow, you are so lucky that you could go see her in person. But for sure, like you said, if you have PCOS or any of these other conditions and you feel like you're not getting the right answers, you can schedule a telemedicine visit with her and maybe mm -hmm. do some more lab testing, a deeper dive. And I just have to throw something out there. We are recording on Women's Biohacking Day. How That's today? It's today. Oh, I didn't get the memo. Okay. Well, it's March 7th. So by the time this comes out, we're going to be a little bit past it. But hey, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate today and every day, Women's Biohacking Day. <laughs> yes. And I think Dr. Fenske also is a biohacker. I have heard her speak on other podcasts about, you know, uh, some of the things she mentioned today, like red light therapy. And um, I appreciate that she's always looking at the lifestyle factors as the foundation for a lot of these women's health issues we're seeing today. So she's mm -hmm. definitely a biohacker. She really is. Yeah. Comprehensive practice. And what I loved, and you'll hear this in the podcast is it's just so personal for her. She really, really puts a huge emphasis on spending enough time with her patients so she could put together the full puzzle. And she cares about your mindset. She cares about lifestyle. She cares about your emotions and your stress, your exercise. It is just, you know, such a large puzzle. And I think she does a great job of putting those, all those puzzle pieces down on, on the board in front of you. So you can work together as a team to get some answers. So really excited to bring this conversation to you. Anything else before we go into her bio? Yeah. I just think one final thing is I hope this is the start of a movement for gynecology mm -hmm. practices around the country. It's like the five minute visit once a year is just not doing it for us women. And she's really changing the game. And I, I think that's really exciting. Hopefully we see more of this around the country. Yeah. It has to be holistic and comprehensive. It can't be isolated to this one region of your body or a system of systems and everything is connected. So if you just go to the gyno and put your feet up in the straps and they just, you know, do, do what they do and not consider everything else in your life. I think that's a big, a big misstep. So yeah. Okay. We're going to get into all the wonders that Dr. Suzanne is bringing to the world, but here is a little bit more about her. She is a board certified gynecologist and integrative health expert. She provides holistic medical care to optimize patients' health at Tara MD in Lenox Hill in New York City. Dr. Fenske applies her broad medical expertise to treat a range of complex conditions, including hormone imbalances, endometriosis, and polycystic ovary syndrome, also known as PCOS. She uses a functional approach 
Dr. Fenske entered an accelerated medical program at age 17 before starting her undergraduate education at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. She then attended medical school at Drexel College of Medicine in Philadelphia, where she discovered her passion for women's health. She continued her training with a residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Beth Israel Medical Center in New York City. She continued to advance her education and training with a highly renowned, minimally invasive gynecologic surgery fellowship at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Even after all of this training, she felt her patients deserved more comprehensive care. This led her to pursue additional training in whole body health care at the University of Arizona Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine in Tucson, Arizona. Today, Dr. Fenske uses her unique combination of advanced training to provide unmatched care and hormone therapy for perimenopause and menopause, SOLA for pelvic pain, and functional medicine for a range of gynecological conditions. She also contributes to peer-reviewed studies, news articles, and national conferences. Outside of her office, Dr. Fenske lives a rich life with her supportive husband, two daughters, and their pet, Lola. She enjoys cooking, meditation, reading, and yoga. So lovely. Okay. Are we right. ready, ladies and gentlemen? Okay. Welcome, Suzanne, to the Biohacker Babes podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yes, thrilled to have you here today. We're really excited to talk about Tara MD. You've created this innovative space for women who maybe previously haven't gotten answers from traditional or Western medicine which uh, is a topic that we love. And you're helping these women get to the root cause of their symptoms with diagnostic functional lab testing, with some lifestyle modifications, supplements and botanicals, all of which I think are commonly overlooked in treating common female conditions like endometriosis, PCOS. You also mentioned perimenopause before we jumped on the recording. I think we could probably create a long list of things that women are suffering from in our modern day life. So we're going to kind of get to the bottom of how you approach these differently than has been, you know, commonly done over the last few decades. So super excited to be in this female driven conversation. We're just super excited to know what drove you into this path. What was kind of the turning point in your career? Because you do have a, a traditional background, but you've done lots of functional studies since then. So I guess what was the turning point in your, in your career? Yeah. I mean, I knew I wanted to be an OBGYN. Um, it was interesting back in medical school, I was between plastic surgery and OBGYN drastically different fields. Um, and <laughs> I know, and then I just had this realization that there's just, ultimately you have to choose something that you want to read about, learn about, hear about day in, day out, and, you know, constantly keep that drive going. And that was women's health. Um, so I did my residency in OBGYN and, um, I loved the surgical aspect, decided to go into robotic and laparoscopic surgery. Um, so did a two-year fellowship in that at Mount Sinai, uh, and stayed on, uh, at Mount Sinai and had an academic career. But during the course of that, I just kept seeing these women who had, you know, had multiple prior laparoscopic surgeries for their endometriosis. And here I was operating on them again, and just felt that there was something really missing from medicine, that it's great that we have, you know, the medications available if we need them and the surgical abilities available in technology, but that there was, there had to be more, right? You know, you're not addressing the comprehensive human. So that kind of led me down the path into doing my second fellowship under Dr. Andrew Weil in integrative medicine. And I think that that just opened up Pandora's box, you know, a beautiful Pandora's box, where I then wanted to really understand kind of 
the root cause analysis. You know, the integrative medicine really enabled me to approach something very comprehensively, but it didn't enable me to really dive down deep to find out what the root issue was. And then functional medicine allowed me to do that, which so ultimately I feel like I had the best of all possible worlds. And then along the way, you just learn that this can be applied to so so many health conditions, not just, you know, pelvic pain or endometriosis, but really every medical condition really benefits from an integrative functional approach. Yes, absolutely. The East meets West philosophy. We love that. And it's so interesting because, you know, as a female, I've gone to the gynecologist once a year. I do my five minute appointment. Is everything okay? Yes. Okay. You're out the door. See in a year. So I'm curious, how is it different at your practice? Like I'm assuming there's more than five minutes with a patient, you know, how do you start that conversation? Yeah, no. Well, our first for a new visit, regardless if it's your annual or anything, it's an hour. And then what I think is important is really getting down to the basics, right? Really diving into not just, you know, when was your last pap? When was your last mammogram? Um, Are you sexually active? But really diving deep into what's your nutritional pattern? When are you eating for breakfast, lunch, dinner? Um, What foods do you avoid? What foods do you feel like bring on issues for you? Diving down deep into what's your exercise regimen and tailoring that because at different phases of our life, different types of exercise are really beneficial to us. And then really diving into sleep because we all need sleep and many of us just aren't getting adequate amount of sleep. And that, of course, you know, is this vicious circle where if you're not getting enough sleep, then the medical issues you're trying to get on top of get worse and worse. So I really address nutrition, exercise, sleep. What are your stress management skills? Meaning what are your day-to-day practices to manage your stress? And then what's in your moment of stress? What are you doing? Um, And sex, you know, talking about sex, are you happy in your sex life? Um, Are you satisfied? And really diving into all these things to be able to know the whole person, because it's so important to start off a relationship, knowing that person, knowing everything about them, and then knowing what I always end my question portion of it with what are your goals? What do you want, ideally, out of working with me to to come of this? And what approach do you want? Because we're all different. Some women really want a purely, purely natural approach with absolutely no no medications as much as possible. Um, Some women are still very traditional. They think that things that are outside the box are, are more hokey. So they really want a more traditional approach. And most women like an integrative approach. They want the best of both worlds, ultimately. So really, that's that's kind of the where I start off my relationship with my patients is really understanding what their goals are, who they are, and all of the aspects of their life so that when I create a plan, I address everything. Mm, that's incredible. I- Love that, especially that last piece of providing <laughs> options, because I think even skipping over the lifestyle and the sleep and the nutritional stuff is just a huge overstep. But giving patients options to choose their own path is just so important, one, to personalize, but also to empower, because I think we walk into a traditional Western doctor's office and it's so reductionistic. There's only one way and it doesn't resonate with a yeah. lot of people. So I think it's it's hugely important to empower and to provide educational resources like you're doing. So like we could stop there. And I think that's enough. Like just giving options makes such a huge difference. But I love that you started with sleep. It's it's just so true. And I think it's so steeped in the literature. It's everywhere in the research, but it's so easy for people to ignore because I think human physiology is really resilient. So we can get away with a lot and people 
you know, one bad night's sleep, you brush it off, drink some caffeine, push through, and seemingly, you know, short term, nothing bad happens. So it's really hard to correlate down the road to developing a disorder like PCOS, endometriosis, or just having like bad period symptoms. It's so hard to make that connection. So I, I guess I'm curious, what is the big motivating factor that you kind of drip in? What, what's the magic juice that you get to really motivate people to understand that these day-to-day choices are having long-term consequences? Yeah, I feel like women in general, even, you know, even even the women who are resistant and being like, well, why does that matter for this particular issue? You know, why does my, you know, my nutrition matter for my PCOS and just really women who question that when I feel like when you hear a person out and you understand where they're coming from, you're able to kind of get them to understand as well, because it's a team approach, right? And that's the key. A lot of physicians are really draconian with how they approach people. And most of us, you know, we're adults, we don't want that approach. Um, We know our bodies, we live in our bodies, and we know what's going to work for us. I mean, you can tell me to start training for the marathon, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) It's not something I want to do, right? So (laughs) I think that when you really understand your patients, and you really listen to your patients, then you're able, yeah, yeah, you're able to to get through and they're able to understand you because they know that you're listening to what what they want. Yeah, that's huge. And and the opportunity here for, you know, like I said before, most women are going to their gynecologist once a year. There's so much opportunity there versus, I don't know about most men, but like I've watched my husband. I don't think he's been to a doctor in the 17 years we've been together. He just, I mean, he has no health problems, so he just doesn't go. I mean, yeah. I, I run annual labs on him, so I guess that that helps buffer it a little bit. But for us women, there's so much opportunity to have that conversation. So I love that you're doing that. And what was I going to, oh, I was going to lead into something else. I just forgot. But I am curious, why do you think so many women are not getting diagnosed properly with a lot of these issues? Like we've mentioned endometriosis, PCOS. Is it that they're not having enough time with their doctor to review what's going on or they're hard to diagnose. What's happening there? I think it's a couple of things. I mean, I think time is crucial, right? So I think that women feel rushed during their appointments. So they're kind of, you know, getting through the basics of things. I think that physicians aren't asking the questions. So women aren't triggered to think that maybe this is normal, abnormal. And I I think there's something in our culture that we tend to downplay in our head what is going on with ourselves, right? So for example, if someone, the, the the average time for diagnosis for endometriosis, you know, you're talking about is seven to 10 years before a diagnosis. And oftentimes that's because women are like, okay, you know, everyone's period sucks, right? So my period also sucks. And they kind of just downplay that in their head. But I do think that it's, it's, it's on both sides. I think that women have to kind of take control of their health and walk in with their list of concerns and issues and be prepared. Even if you're seeing somebody who's, you know, in network and insurance, and you have that short kind of visit, be prepared, walk in with your list of things that you've noticed about your body that your questions are, and get them right out there. And physicians, we need to ask more questions. We do. You know, I've seen so many women in my practice and I always talk about sex and I can't tell you how many women are like, oh, no one's ever asked me about my sex life. No gynecologist has dealt with that or asked that question. It needs to go on both sides. We, We all need to take responsibility for this. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe if the question was asked or wasn't enough enough time allowed for a proper answer or not enough trust. I know when I ask my clients about something simple like digestion, you know, the simple answer is, oh, it's fine. 
And then if you just stay quiet and give them some time, other things will come out. But sometimes there's just not that opportunity to go a little bit deeper. I think it's so interesting with the seven to 10 years of diagnosis for something like endometriosis. Obviously, there must be something on the preventative side that we can start looking for much earlier. Do you use diagnostic lab testing to do that? I think you're a fan of the Dutch test. Is that something that you recommend for everyone? Like, what can we do preventatively to make sure that we're not doing damage control 10 years later? Yeah, I mean, that I, I'm pretty selective with when I do which testing for which person. I always take into account, you know, the costs associated with these tests that are not covered by labs, um, by insurance. And then, of course, whether it's necessary, whether it's going to really impact. For me, there's always just the simple question, right? For a woman who have endometriosis, the simple question is just basically, does your period make you miss out on aspects of your life? Are you missing work? Are you missing school? Are you not going to events you want to go to? And it's such a basic, basic question. This is obviously, this is not integrated. This is not functional. This is not robotic laparoscopic surgery. It's a basic question, right? Yes. If you have to take some Advil on certain days of your period, because you're having some cramping, sure, that's normal. But if you are laying in bed and not wanting to go out because it's your period, that is not normal right there. Red flag, red flag, start, start looking into endometriosis and start advocating for yourself that this is not normal. You know, I'm remembering back to high school. One of my girlfriends, she used to miss school like two days every month. Yeah. Because of her period pain. And like, I don't know why that just came back to me. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, where is she today? Oh, it's that time of the month. Like, oh my gosh. I want actually wonder, I wonder how she's doing today. I haven't seen her in 20 years. But yeah. And I mean, for me personally, I I feel like I've been lucky and that I haven't had a lot of issues, cramping pain. The one thing I have noticed and correlated though, is if I have alcohol three days before my cycle starts, I will get cramps on the first day. So as long as I avoid avoid alcohol, which we know is very toxic and inflammatory, maybe it's because that's really the yeah. only inflammatory thing in my diet since my diet's pretty clean. But but I think for women, being able to correlate different things like that are, are also really helpful. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm curious, how do you define normal? Because symptoms are subjective. And as you said, we can very easily downplay. So how do we know when it's actually normal versus common? There's just so much gray area there to me. And you did say like, it's normal to have, you know, maybe a little discomfort, maybe take an Advil. I guess the real question is, what is truly ideal for a female hormonal cycle? What are we aiming for if we could, if the sky is the limit? Yeah. For, well, ideally, right, is that the cycle is really the same around the same amount of time every single month, you know, whether it's your 27 days, 28 days, really fluctuation of only really one to two days um, to really have a regimented cycle. And then it is normal, right, to the week before have some changes, right? Maybe a little bit of constipation that happens right before the day or two before your period comes, maybe a little bit of breast tenderness. But if you are incredibly irritable, incredibly moody, a whole different human being, um, if you can't hug somebody because your breasts are so tender, if you can't get your rings on (laughs) because your fingers are so swollen, these are all things that are kind of showing you that... "Mm, Something hormonal is going on here, whether it's related to, you know, a progesterone deficiency or what it is, hormones just not being balanced enough regardless, then that's something to start looking forward and looking into. And then in general, you want the, the actual flow, you know, up to seven days is normal for a flow, but really even seven days is a longer normal flow. So really you should kind of be more in that five day range. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful to know. I would love to touch a little bit on PCOS. 
since you have such a different approach to it, how do you start this process with women? What's like the go-to? Yeah. So I always do for PCOS, I will always read of blood work. And my blood work tends to be a little bit more extensive than regular. I mean, I do do the traditional hormones on the appropriate times of the month to evaluate them. I also do a fasting insulin that I do um, on everyone that I'm, that I'm considering PCOS, as well as obviously hemoglobin A1C. But we know that hemoglobin A1C can take up to 10 years to turn abnormal and insulin resistance can manifest much earlier on. A full thyroid function too, cholesterol, to look at all the metabolic um, parameters, uh, because we know with PCOS, oftentimes it's a you know metabolic syndrome. And then sometimes I will also bring in a Dutch test because I do want to look at the adrenals. Um, and whether it's a Dutch test or a saliva test, it allows me at least to look at the adrenals. What I do like about the Dutch test is that you're able to really evaluate the metabolites too um, and see how that phase one and phase two uh, estrogen metabolism pathways are as well. That's great. Yeah, we both love the Dutch test. So I appreciate that you're doing that. Uh, I wish my gynecologist would do these kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> so when are you coming to Vegas? <laughs> is the question. That would be great. So if you do see that fasting insulin is higher, <laughs> or uh, are you doing any CGM, like continuous glucose monitoring, or with the Dutch test? Are you, what, what are you yeah, doing then if you see like higher androgens or higher androgen pathways? What is the next yeah. Thing? So I, t- I do do CGMs. I love CGMs. Um, I, I personally think it's just fun and curious to do it on yourself regardless. And I actually think it's a great tool for, especially women with PCOS, because everyone's just so unique, how they respond to different foods and to, to have that gift, to learn your body, you know, when you first get your diagnosis of PCOS and just to, at least to a trial one, whether weight's an issue or weight's not an issue, it's not about just about knowing how your body responds to certain things, then doing that CGM, whether it's just a month or two, because, you know, obviously insurance doesn't cover it unless you're diabetic. So there is a little bit of a cost associated with it out of pocket, but at least doing it for a month or two and really just learning, Hey, you know, I actually can't eat oatmeal or I can't eat, you know, bananas, or I I can eat a banana, but I have to pair it with peanut butter. And learning that information allows women to go forward in life and really be in control because, you know, part of PCOS is that it is it's metabolic. It affects so many things and learning that aspect. So I do love CGMs. And my we, my nutritionist actually does use CGMs when she's working with people too. And it's been very helpful for us. That's great. Awesome. I mean, even the fact that you have a nutritionist in your practice is such a game changer. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. So yeah. important. Yeah. 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 And then what about uh, high androgens? So if you're uh, pushing down the, the more favorable, no, unfavorable androgen pathway. Hey there, biohackers. It is no secret that stress is a common factor that affects everyone in today's fast-paced world, leading to various health issues, including heart problems, inflammation, obesity, and mental illness. While most people focus on finding relief through meditation or trips to the spa, what if the root cause of stress is actually a deficiency in a key nutrient? 
If you've heard our recent episodes about optimizing mental health, you know that nutrition is an essential factor, with magnesium being super important here. This is why we love, love, love Magnesium Breakthrough, the ultimate magnesium supplement that offers the full spectrum of all seven types of magnesium, specially formulated to reach every tissue in your body for maximum health benefits. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, disrupting many of our crucial metabolic pathways, leading to poor sleep, low energy levels, and dysregulated moods. What sets Magnesium Breakthrough apart is its ability to impact the release of stress hormones like cortisol and block the activity of more stimulating neurotransmitters, leading to a more peaceful and resting state. This means that this supplement acts like a break on your body's nervous system, helping to calm and soothe, promoting a better quality of life. If you want to check out Magnesium Breakthrough, simply go to magbreakthrough.com backslash biohackerbabes. You can get 10% off Magnesium Breakthrough with code biohackerbabes10. And for a limited time only, if you buy three bottles, you can get exciting gifts with your purchases like blue light, blocking glasses, and more. This is a limited time offer for select orders, so do not wait. Head over to magbreakthrough.com backslash biohackerbabes to get this offer and start optimizing your health and nutrition today. Let's get back to the show. Yeah. So, I mean, oftentimes I, I will address these with supplements. Um, I think that women are very open to it. And there is, you know, sometimes you have the, I, I this is not my cure all or my approach. There is always obviously the 20 something year old who also wants contraception. So sometimes yeah, I will use the pill too. If someone wants contraception, it's a great form of contraception. And if they don't want an IUD um, or alternative methods, uh, but if they don't, then it's very, I can manage PCOS very naturally. And oftentimes we'll use kind of different supplements to manage as that, that androgen pathway, if they're doing that as well as oftentimes they need to have their adrenals kind of get a little kick up too as well. <laughs> a little fine tuning. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Speaking of birth control, do you have any recommendations for women? Like what is an IUD typically a better option? Alternative to birth control for management mm-hmm. of PCOS? Well, well just... I mean more for preventing preventing pregnancy. Some some yeah, women I'm... just really want to be on something. Yes. Yes. I think that it's all about choices. Um, and I think it's about what's going to work for women. Some women really don't want anything externally put in their body. So things like an IUD or um, an implant are just not options that they want to consider. So I will offer birth control pills. There, There is kind of a newer pill on the market that I do like a lot because it uses bioidentical estrogen in it. So I oftentimes, and it has kind of less of that side effect profile that we find. It doesn't decrease testosterone levels because it doesn't increase sex hormone binding globulin. Um, so I mean, a lot of women come in on birth control complaining of reduced libido because of the effects of the um, you know elevation of sex hormone binding globulin, which then binds up all of our testosterone. So I do like there's kind of a newer pill. You know, it's great that we're making this this progress now. Finally, it's been the same estrogen for the past, you know. 50 some odd years. Um, but um, also, you know, IUDs, depending non-hormonal IUDs, if you have a woman who doesn't have a history of really painful periods, then the non-hormonal IUD can be a really good option. But what it comes down to is ultimately, I think that, you know, as, as natural, I want to be an integrative, I want to be, I understand the importance of preventing unwanted pregnancy. And that has to be, you know, really recognized and put up at the top um, for women as well especially in what's going on in our politics today. 
Yes. Again, just empowering women to choose for their own health and their own bodies is so important. So yeah, thank you for supporting that. So, okay. With PCOS, we're looking at androgens, we're looking at adrenals, we're looking at insulin and metabolic health. What about endometriosis? Because I think there's probably a lot of women that don't know the big difference here. And I think if we look at biochemistry, physiology, they're quite different. What are we looking at um, inside of the bodies when we, when we see endometriosis? Yeah. So with endometriosis, I really like to attack kind of the inflammatory component of it. So that's, you know, it is a disease of estrogen and inflammation, and that inflammation is what really causes a lot of the symptoms. Um, So I usually will kind of create a good supplement regimen that really focuses on on being anti-inflammatory. I think it's really important to focus on the nutritional aspect and really have an anti-inflammatory diet also along with it. Uh, and then oftentimes, you know, gut microbiome testing and really looking at the gut and looking at there's concurrent issues, you know, a dysbiosis issue, a SIBO issue, that's also really exacerbating symptoms. So I think that unfortunately, oftentimes endometriosis is really, really put under this microscope and it's just focused in on the actual implants and that's it, but you're not approaching the whole person. And unfortunately with endometriosis, you have higher rates of depression, you have higher rates of gut issues, you have higher rates of sleep issues, and all of these things have to really been tied in together and really to optimize outcome. And I think this is what I found, you know, you would do these surgeries and you would spend eight hours doing a perfectly beautiful surgery as good as it possibly could get. And women would still feel, you know, yeah, I feel better, but still my energy is really low. I'm really, I'm still bloated and things like that because you're not addressing every other aspect of it. So I do think that endometriosis is unique that oftentimes for the most part, the gut really needs to be evaluated too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. I would definitely agree with that. So interesting. And is there any genetic factor for women that get endometriosis or is it more lifestyle? Gen- No, I mean, there is a genetic component to it. We just don't have enough information yet to be able to fine tune where that genetic component is. Um, But it's very often you'll see women who um, have other members of their family also have endometriosis. Mm. I imagine that's the CYP enzyme because that determines which pathway you're probably going to favor, right? Like 2OH, 4OH, 16OH, and we're looking at 16OH with endometriosis, correct? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, so... But then oftentimes, even even before you get, and this is not everyone, but even before you get to the estrogen metabolism, I can't tell you how many women I just see sort of this, you know, imbalance of their estrogen progesterone ratio to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. So do you often catch that with blood chemistry testing? Or are you looking at something like the Dutch test? Because I know if you look at serum and urine, we're not always catching the tissue level of those hormones. So how often do you feel like you're that that's getting missed just by doing blood chemistry and not doing saliva testing. Yeah. So unfortunately, I mean, I find blood, blood chemistry, especially for progesterone is really inaccurate. It's definitely very difficult to get the information you need and be able to calculate, do an accurate calculation on the serum testing. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, I guess I'm just curious, how do you determine then doing the Dutch test? Obviously it's an expensive test, but worthwhile for anyone that can afford it. So yeah. Is it just kind of an intuitive feeling if, if it comes back equal ratios in the blood chemistry? Sometimes are you just suspicious about there maybe being something else going on depending on signs, symptoms? Are there markers that you've tested? I guess, how do you know when to confidently take that next step if someone is concerned about the, the price of the test? Yeah. I mean, I think that it comes down to really personalizing it. So I think that 
you know, if you're talking about really evaluating a woman who you're suspecting or has endometriosis, then doing a Dutch test and doing a gut microbiome test, this all can get super expensive for women. So really focusing in on their symptoms. If there are a lot of gut issues, then, and they have, you know, a finite amount of money they want to spend, then that's the better place to kind of put it. And you can kind of manage things you know, without necessarily doing the Dutch test and kind of going on intuition on things that oftentimes it's a great extra information to have. If you really want a targeted, targeted approach, then it is good to have both tests done, but you know, it does get really costly. So the, I will say that you can kind of work around not necessarily having the Dutch test, but if there are GI symptoms, and they've seen a gastroenterologist. And of course, a gastroenterologist usually does, you know, an endoscopy or a colonoscopy on them. And oftentimes it's normal. And then they're kind of stuck in that place, say, of the sort of generalized IBS category. Then I would say that that's, it's a better to kind of dive deeper into that area and spend that money more wisely in that area to be able to evaluate that. Hmm. Nothing worse than getting dumped into the collection of symptoms called IBS <laughs> with no answers. Yeah. The endless bucket there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, this is reminding me, I remember I saw this funny meme on Instagram years ago of a woman and it was like, I have this pain down here. I'm either pregnant, getting my period, have kidney stones, or I have IBS or something. It was like, you know, just like, there's just so much going on down there for women. And, you know, it can be tricky sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So given that, what about lifestyle modifications that we can make? I guess, I mean, you mentioned sleep earlier. How do we start to personalize something like that? What's up, biohackers? What if I told you there was a supplement that is helpful for immune health, dental health, skin care, even can help our pets at times. And it has actually been used by many ancient civilizations for a long, long time. I am talking about silver today. It was actually used before the mainstream discovery and acceptance of antibiotics in the early 1900s. Uh, silver was used in hospitals and is still used today. And we do want to be careful about the quality of silver. This is why we love the silver soul technology. It's not ionic. It's actually a true colloidal silver, which is a nanoparticle coated by a silver oxide. So what you really need to remember is that it's more effective and more efficient at lower parts per million. And the silver soul technology that we love is 10 to 33 parts per million versus there's other companies that have up to 3,000 parts per million. So the takeaway more is not always better. And the company that we really, really love to use is Silver Biotics because they have a wide range of products, like I said, for immune-specific, dental-specific, even the pet care, wound care, all of these great options. And the Silver Soul technology has a natural way of targeting invaders without the side effects, so using multiple modes of action on how it targets invaders. It uses the natural elements to kind of trick the body, so to speak, to kickstart the immune system. So especially through the winter, we love using the immune support so if you want to check out these awesome products, you can head over to silverbiotics.com and make sure you use discount code biohackerbabes at checkout to save some money. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah. So lifestyle modifications for endometriosis. I mean, yes, as much as possible, kind of referring to the EWG and choosing products based on the EWG, of course, um, and really focusing in on endocrine disruptors. I think it's really important to also have sort of a stress management practice and everyone's different, you know, whether it is traditional meditation or it's journaling or it's walking meditation um, or movement meditation, 
but really making sure that that's into play too, to be able to enable women to be able to really kind of utilize that breath work and so on um, in pain too, while they're going through pain. Optimize sleep. I find that I cannot tell you how many of my endometriosis patients just are not sleeping well. So really optimizing sleep and whether that's a combination of just kind of good practices or some little, you know, tools that I like to use also, or additional supplements to sleep is going to be incredibly important for this exercise, which is hard, right? Because the last thing you want to do when you're in pain is exercise. So oftentimes kind of my go-to exercise that, that, um, I find is kind of the most tolerated and is really helpful is doing, um, yoga or Pilates too, because what oftentimes happen is with Pilates, you know, you're going to strengthen that core. And when women who have endometriosis have that weaker core, then they tend to kind of misuse their pelvic floor muscles. And then all of a sudden they have these concurrent diagnoses, right? So they have well as pelvic floor dysfunction, which is now causing pelvic floor pain too. So pain from the endo, pain from the pelvic floors. So something like Pilates actually will really help build the core and will kind of uh, avoid that dysfunction of, of putting so much or misusing the pelvic floor during that time too. Mm, that's, that's a really great helpful. tip. I'm curious with the pelvic floor pain, how often is that from endometriosis or is it a different root cause? Where is that coming from? Yeah. So pelvic floor actually is really interesting. It's um, It can be kind of secondary to lots of different pelvic pain disorders, right? So um, women who have interstitial cystitis, women who have endometriosis, um, because of the pain that they're chronically in, they're tensing those pelvic floor muscles, but they're not even aware that they're doing it. And then I always give the example, the example that basically if you were to flex your bicep and walk around all day with your bicep nice and flexed at the end of the day, your bicep is going to hurt a lot. <laughs> and that's what they're doing. They're in pain constantly in their abdomen. So they're tensing, tensing those pelvic floor muscles and not even aware of it. But you can have pelvic floor plane totally separately in and of itself, right? Women, if you have hip issues or back issues, then you're also tending to kind of not use and not work with your pelvic floor the correct way. If women have pain with intercourse, then penetrative intercourse, then oftentimes too, they can have that sort of pelvic floor dysfunction as well, because they're tensing those muscles, you know, in, in concern in preparation and in protection before penetrative intercourse. So it is, I do see it a lot in my patients who also have endometriosis or other pelvic pain issues, adenomyosis in and of itself. And sometimes it's a sign of another diagnosis that has not been unearthed yet, right? Like a hip issue or a back issue. Wow. The the options are endless there. (laughs) Yeah. Everything's connected. Yeah. So how often would something like some sort of physical therapy or personal training be beneficial for that? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that everyone who has pelvic floor issues would benefit from, from time with a pelvic floor physical therapist, somebody who really focuses and has an extra specialized training who's a physical therapist, but really only works with the pelvic floor. Women can learn, can learn what they're doing. There are other therapies you can do. Some people do Botox injections into the pelvic floor muscles, my practice also offers SOLA, which is near-infrared light pelvic th- therapy. Um, but regardless of those additional therapies, everyone should do pelvic physical therapy because 
you're right back where you are. You can do another treatment and it can make everything good for a period of time. But if you're not knowing that, oh, wow, you know, I'm tensing that pelvic floor muscle. I had no idea that I was doing that. Then you're, they're going to be right back to square one eventually. Mm-hmm. What is the sola? Is that an intravaginal red light or is it just supradermal on top of this? No, it's actually, it's a small, very narrow, very small probe, much, much smaller than speculum that gets inserted into the vagina. And it's usually a series of nine treatments. Each treatment is about four or so minutes. Um, no pain. It's actually, they feel a gentle warming sensation and that's it. And then the technology is not new technology. This has been used on athletes externally on their body for years. It's just new to actually be used in this form and used for these indications. Um, But basically it works at a couple of different ways. It works at the mitochondria, which is the powerhouses of the cell and also works uh, increasing lymphatic drainage. So get rid of all of those toxins that are going around there too. And um, it relaxes the muscles too. So it's a, it's a great tool, but uh, I still think that, you know, oftentimes I'll use it on women who have been through pelvic physical therapy. They're very aware of what they need to do, but you do want to be educated on what you're doing with your pelvis too. Mm. Yeah. Uh, do you see any benefit from using traditional red lights outside of the vagina or maybe in tandem with, do you see any benefit there or is it not moving the needle yeah. enough? You know, I haven't really evaluated. There's not data really on external red light therapy. I can't imagine it being harmful in any way and probably is additive in in its yeah. benefits, but uh, there's really no research that's been done using external. Sure. Great. I would love to transition curious, a little though. bit into um, perimenopause because I know we have a lot of ladies out there that are probably like, what about me? What about me? So maybe we can do like an overview <laughs> what what you're seeing, you know, what can these women start doing with lifestyle factors maybe or testing? Where should they begin? Yeah, so I think that a lot of us miss that we're in early perimenopause. Um so perimenopause can, you know, start the symptoms of it can start occurring 10 to 13 years ahead of menopause, which is kind of mind-boggling, right? That that 10 to 13 years ahead of menopause you can start having symptoms. Right. So we are talking about women in their late 30s and early 40s really starting to have some symptoms of perimenopause. And personally, this actually happened to me in my late 30s. I had no clue, but I had had my second child at like 37, I think I was, and came out of that and came into a whole different type of human being. And even me as a gynecologist, I really didn't associate the new symptoms I was having as being early perimenopause. I'm like, oh, you know, I have two children under the age of two, and that's why things are going on the way they are. It's a gradual decline starting in the 30s. And in the late 30s and 40s, up to mid 40s, the progesterone declines and progesterone has a much more drastic decline. Um, So then there's this period of time, which is that early perimenopause time, where you have much higher levels of estrogen relative to the progesterone in the body. And so I think that we're, we're a lot more aware now of those later perimenopause symptoms, right? So the hot flashes, the night sweats, the skipping periods, that, that seems to be pause symptoms when you're still having regular cycles is that you may notice that you have heavier periods, that your cycle might be a little bit shorter all of a sudden, much worse PMS, a lot of water weight retention, weight gain, and um, irritability, breast tenderness. These are all symptoms that happen in that early perimenopausal time period. So I think awareness, awareness to these symptoms really, really helps that, you know, 
it, it's not just that your life is more stressful now. It's that these actually having a hormonal changes because we know, we know the effects of progesterone. Progesterone is that calming hormone of our body, right? So without that calming hormone, women will start reporting, well, you know, my sleep's getting much worse. I'm waking up more. It's harder for me to fall asleep. Um, I'm much more irritable and moody than I normally am. And those are all kind of signs that that there's your body's not producing enough progesterone anymore. And then as, as the hormones go on, basically, there's this kind of middle period of perimenopause, which is just pure chaos, right? So one month you're making enough estrogen, the next month you have estrogen deficiency symptoms. So one month you're raging PMS, and then the next month totally skipped your period. And then later perimenopause is when you now have low levels of estrogen, low levels of progesterone. Um, and that's kind of those classic symptoms, vaginal dryness, hot flashes, night sweats, brain fog, uh, there's so many symptoms, but but you get the idea. Um, so I think that to start is just kind of, you know, keeping track of your cycles and symptoms that are going on and really kind of tuning into your body. Because this is also a time in our lives when many of us have now tuned out of our body because we are taking care of other bodies. <laughs> so and working and, you know, our parents are eight. There's so much going on during this time in our lives that we get a little bit actually disconnected from our bodies during this time. This is also when these hormonal fluctuations start to happen, you really want to kind of go back because things like thyroid dysfunction becomes more prevalent. Things like insulin resistance becomes more prevalent. Cholesterol starts LDL starts rising during this time too. So really staying on top of that lab work and that blood work and making sure you're catching things and catching things early is really key. And at what yeah. point would you start someone on bioidentical hormones? Would you wait till full-blown menopause or could you start sooner? Yeah, no, I do start sooner. Um, so, and when I say, you know, bioidentical hormones, there's times when I put women just on progesterone, right? That's what they're missing from their life. Um, there are other things that I try, you know, there's, there's other things that you can consider from a supplement perspective, but they just don't work as well on women in perimenopause produce much more progesterone because that progesterone production really comes from ovulating every single month, ovulating well every single month. And that corpus luteal cyst that comes with ovulation produces the progesterone. So I will use bioidentical just progesterone um, sometimes. And then later in perimenopause, much later when you're really skipping periods, I, I believe that, that um, I, I will dive in and start hormones as well, estrogen and progesterone as well. Hmm. Hmm. Are you talking about supplements, botanicals, something like Vitex or anything? Right, exactly. Yeah. So you're not seeing that move the needle very often? It's hard with Vitex kind of later in, in perimenopause. I do find it to be very helpful in other um, situations and other times of our lives when progesterone and estrogen are imbalanced, but it's it doesn't work as well in, um, in perimenopause. Got it. And I guess, what is your opinion on the importance of supporting the gut microbiome and liver health during this time? Because I think that's something that's pretty overlooked in, in females. Absolutely. Um, yeah. If you're so from the gut microbiome perspective, if if you're not having regular bowel 
movements and have a healthy gut microbiome, then you're going to reabsorb that estrogen back again. So if you're someone who's an early perimenopause, where you already have kind of elevated estrogen relative to progesterone, and then that phase three of your estrogen metabolism is not working well, then you're compounding more estrogen into the equation, which is the last thing that you need. Very important to support gut microbiome during this time and liver, especially if you're going to we, we know that obviously the liver is where phase one and phase two of estrogen metabolism take place. So we want to make sure it's functioning well. And especially if later on you're actually put on hormone therapy, then you want to also make sure that the liver is working well, because then that, that therapy that can be very beneficial is now being deleterious to you. Right. Right. Yeah. I find there's some resistance there though, because traditional medicine, you know, the traditional liver markers, ALT, AST are not super responsive early on in blood chemistry. And also, you know, the ranges are so wide. So I find that's like an interesting opportunity and window. How do we convince people that that most of us probably need some liver support, not only because your hormones are fluctuating, but because we live in a toxic world. Any advice there? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I completely agree with that. And I think that, you know, there's some great supplements that are that are wonderful for assisting with the liver function. And then also a lot of times kind of in that perimenopausal time period, a lot of at home therapy for this time period is alcohol, right? If you have that anxiety, that 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 inability to sleep. So now you're compounding that liver issues with alcohol too. So yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of depending lots of things, but, but milk thistle is a fantastic supplement to use to really help with liver. I'm curious your opinion on alcohol just in general for women. I feel like it's just disrupting so much. And like Lauren just said, we're already in this toxic environment. Like what do you tell your patients when it comes to alcohol? Yeah. So, I mean, we know that it's very disruptive to sleep. So I will always tell women that, you know, A, you do, you want to cut back on alcohol. You really want it to be more of a special life is life, right? So you still want it to make it more of like a special time, a special thing to be done, but you don't want it to be a daily practice for you. If you are somebody who's every single night needing a glass or two of wine or liquor to kind of get through the night, then that's going to be an issue. And it obviously is this vicious circle again, because alcohol is very disruptive to sleep. Um, you will, you know, it'll help you fall asleep. Yes. But you will wake up a couple of hours later and have difficulty continuing to sleep throughout the entire night. So really you want to make sure that there's a window that if you are going to drink alcohol, that it's at least three hours before bedtime, giving your body time to digest it and uh, break it down before sleep comes into factor. Right. So maybe instead of drinking alcohol at night, maybe you come home and, you know, I have no relationship with this, but I love my sensate. So I use my Sensate every single night (laughs) and that's my, you know, quote unquote alcohol calms me down. It gets me into my sleep. It's fantastic. Yeah. Or I mean, there's so many alcohol alternatives, botanical alternatives, or, you know, not even a substance, something like, you know, some nervous system support. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really curious about the, the fluctuations in hunger during perimenopause, because we know like leptin and ghrelin starts to kind of mess around with the the steroid hormone fluctuations mm-hmm. on top of increasing insulin resistance and weight loss resistance. I'm sure yeah. that drive women bonkers because it just makes it so much worse. How do you handle like the changes in hunger where sometimes you could just be ravenous and feel like you can't get enough food? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, there's, um, 
with the, uh, you know, first of all, fiber intake is going to be a huge factor in regards to managing hunger. And most of us are not taking in enough fiber. I feel like the average is what, like nine grams of fiber in our country a day. It's low. it's very, very, very low. So I think that the number one thing to kind of start off with is that recommendation of at least 35 grams of fiber a day. Um, and that will really help with that hunger. Um, also drinking enough water, right? We're mostly not drinking enough water too. And um, staying hydrated obviously will help with hunger as well. Um, and adequate amounts of protein. So our, you know, women, especially we are so under, I can't, you know, I ask women every single day what they eat. It's amazing to me. I feel like most of my patients are probably taking between maybe 60 to 80 grams of protein a day, um, which is so low. <laughs> so I think that, you know, a focus first and foremost on really trying to stay on top of hunger would be to make sure hydration, um, make sure, that um, fiber intake is appropriate, protein intake is appropriate. And then even then, you know, even considering doing a CGM and kind of associating your symptoms with the hunger, you know, maybe the issue is that you're having too much of that up and down and up and down with your with your insulin spikes and your glucose levels, and maybe change modifying diets that you have less of those huge swings will obviously well, yeah. Great advice. I'm so glad you said that. I'm just going to like send this to so many of my female clients because they still are like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And I'm like, protein and fiber. You're still not hitting the mark day after day. It's like, have to drill that in. So I love that you just said that. Thank you for that. Awesome. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for all of this amazing knowledge you have shared with us today. I think we want to ask one final question before we let you run. Um, If you can give our audience one piece of advice, something they could start doing right away to optimize their overall health, what would that be? Uh, you know, first and foremost, I think is mindset. So change your mindset, become a more positive outlook on the things, manage your stress and, uh, and just be much more positive in every aspect of your life. I feel like, um, I know for me personally, that's changed so many things in, in our approach. Um, so it's not something that's medical and it's not something that's, you know, integrative or, um, functional, but really maintaining just a, a really positive outlook on life and really does trickle down to every other aspect. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mindset is yes. so important. Love yes. that. Thank you for sharing that. So we want our audience to know where they can find more about you and about Tara MD. And we did ask before we got on, but I was so curious where Tara came from. Can you share with our audience the inspiration? Yeah. So it's based on the Buddhist goddess Tara. So she's kind of the goddess of everything, the mother goddess, and she's the goddess of nurture and healing too. So it just seemed just right. But um, you can find me on www.taramd.com, T-A-R-A-M-D.com. And on Instagram, that's Tara MD for the number four women. Thank you so much for having me today. Yes. Thank you for joining us. And for anyone that's, so your practice is in New York. Do you do virtual consulting as well? I do. I do. I do telehealth as well. And then my pack, my, my brick and mortar is New York. Amazing. Okay. So opportunities for women around the country. Beautiful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and your wisdom. We will certainly uh, share those resources in the show notes so everyone can find you. And we're just so grateful that you were able to chat with us today. Thank you for having me. And thanks to everyone that tuned in today. We will see you next time. 
Hey, biohackers, thank you so much for staying until the end. And because you did, we have a very exciting announcement. For the next 90 days, we are giving free access to our seven-day Biohacker Babes Challenge. Each day includes a quick nutrition video, workout of the day, and actionables to keep you on track as we move further away from the new year. This is a great time to reinvest in your resolutions and bring a friend along for the ride. The offer will only be available for these 90 days or until the end of April. To access this challenge for free and to invite a friend, scroll down to the show notes and click the link. We will make sure you can't miss it. Happy biohacking. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with your physician or health care professional.